special episode of Epic Experiment Podcast. It's episode 84, and I'm your host, Bruce. And, well, I'm not joined on the line by Lux yet. He may yet show up. However, I do have another esteemed guest for you, for you all tonight. Um, coming to us from Polito's Council, I have a judge. He's got a dreamy voice for radio. I'd like to welcome to the show, Liam. Liam, how are you tonight? Hi, Bruce. Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm doing really well. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you. Now, we may notice our audience, we've switched up with judges. We had uh, Judge Chris on with us for many, many episodes. But Judge Chris is really busy. He's got, he works at a game shop in Houston. He's super busy. And so him, him finding time to record with us is a little bit tricky. So we've gone and found another fabulous judge who's going to come and help us out and make sure that we uh, give you guys all the best information about uh, rules interpretations for the latest sets, including uh, the Crimson Vows. So thank you to Liam for helping share some of that with us. Um, it's really appreciated. And our audience are excited to hear what you have to share with us. I'm excited to share. <laughs> cool. Sounds good. All right, little housekeeping stuff before we get going. We have, uh, if you like what you hear here on the show uh, almost every week, um, I have to admit we have been off and on a little bit more this autumn than I would like to admit, but you can still find all of our content over on thelotuscouncil.com. They have a nice little tab there for the podcast, but they have lots of other great things going on there too. Uh, recently, the Twitch stream has been live with some box breaks and other fun things. You get other, sometimes you have articles and videos from people. Um, but the best piece is the Discord. The Discord, folks, I've talked, we talk about it every week, is free to anyone who wants to join. And there's a lot of additional value in, inherent in that, uh, in that Discord. So if you want to talk to players about you know, particulars for your latest deck, maybe you want to talk about strategies in modern, you want to talk about old school, you want to talk about trading cards, you just want to talk about things that are happening. Lowestcouncil.com, the Discord has got lots of great people who are always willing to have a conversation. It's friendly, uh, it's positive, uh, it's, it's a really healthy place to go, and there's lots of great talk about magic. So if you want to be involved in a fabulous community that is uh, you know, well on its way to uh, being uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, one of the shining beacons for what the magic community can offer everybody online, come and check it out for yourself. I don't think you're going to be disappointed. Um, they're great to us too and, like the, and, and host us each and every week. Um, so come and try them out. You're going to find, you're going to see lots of good things going on over there at thelotuscouncil.com. All right. So, Liam, uh, the way uh, our show usually works is we have an opening segment where we have garbage or great, where uh, we go and we go to the Scryfall random generator and we generate a random card and then we discuss if the card is garbage or if it's great. Um, and then we'll launch into segment two, which will be our segments about the rules and some cool cards what, and things that I have to offer. And then last but not least, time permitting, of course. I mean, if it gets too, too late, we'll just call it, we'll call it there. But sometimes we can squeeze in a bit of a deck and I've got a sweet one for you guys tonight. So we got a busy, busy show for us. Are you ready, Liam? I'm ready to go. All right, strap in. Here we go. Garbage. Or great tonight's show. Tonight's uh, show is brought to you by the card Marsh Hulk. Oh my! This was a limited all-star in um, Dragons of Tarkir, but so we have four black black for a creature, Zombie Ogre with Megamorph. Oh, the dumbest name ever! 
for a mechanic. So Megamorph says six and a block, and you can cast this card as a morph, as a 2-2, for three uh, colorless mana, sorry, generic mana, and then turn it face up anytime it's for its Megamorph cost, and put a plus one, plus one counter on it, and it is naturally a 4-6. So what do you think, Liam? Is this card garbage, or is this great? You know, I've been wrapping my mind around this card since you told me which one it was going to be, and I just cannot think of any decks that I would put this in. You're right that it was limited all-star. Megamorph is probably the worst name for a, for a mechanic ever. I mean, there's not much mega about a plus one, plus one counter. That is just, I don't understand why I named it that. Um, but even, I mean, it's got a one relevant creature type, but even so, it's uh, it's too slow and just too terrible to to put in a deck. Yeah, you're really stretching if you're putting this in your zombie deck. Um, I don't think ogre decks are a thing yet. And uh, that untap or sorry, that megamorph ability is highly disappointing. So you know, I tend to agree with you. I have to say this card is garbage. Sometimes I can usually make a case for a commons to be... Um, more playable than this but th- th- this is this is not uh, yeah. i'm i can't really make a case for it so this card is i have no choice but to call this garbage because it is officially poopy so sorry marsh hulk you were you were lots of fun when you were in when you were in uh, unlimited i lost lots of games to you but now now it's not <laughs> It was like the Wooly Loxodon of the set. That's what I remember. I remember Wooly in, in cons draft, like triple cons, when you like you unmorphed Wooly Loxodon, Wooly Loxodon just ate you. Because yep. it was like a it was like a seven six and it just gobbled you up. And yep. this was this was kind of like the Lo- Wooly Loxodon of the set. It was like big and like a big old butt. It was real hard to fight through if it if it flipped up. Um the only other spot this could go would be that Kadena deck, which is the morph centric deck but even then this does not do enough so yeah i don't think so Sorry, Marshall, <laughs> you are it, trash is that a live sound effect or do you have a soundboard over there <laughs> well that's just me that's just me all right got it <laughs> i'm mature i'm mature i spent too long time at elementary school today so you know it's ah. uh art noises are the order of the day all right there we go let's move on to segment two Let's go mechanics. Yes, mechanics. All right, so uh, we'll just pick. I'll, I'll just edit that out, and we'll just and we'll start again. So um, we have some some new mechanics that Crimson Vow has brought us there, Liam. So what what sort of new mechanics can players look forward to in Crimson Vow? Okay, well the the three new mechanics are called training, uh, cleave, and blood. And blood is a token mechanic, so it's not super exciting, but it is kind of cool. It's a new token type. Um, and uh, we'll put a pin in, in this, but it also came with a, a rule change about how tokens are named. Oh, oh, okay. Let's, let's start with blood tokens then. So help us out. So um, let's read what blood tokens are. So when you get a blood token, blood tokens are colorless artifacts that are one, then tap, discard a card, sacrifices artifact, and then you can draw a card. So it's like, I some people refer to me as like, um, sort of, kind of akin to uh rummaging or but i sort of and someone else described it more like cycling on, a, on an artifact it just sort of gives any card in your hand the ability to be discarded 
as a cycling sort of thing. Yes, that's uh, that's a good way to put it. Um, I mean, either one of those mechanics do sort of uh, have the same effect as this, discarding a card and, and drawing a card, but you also have to sacrifice the token, of course. Um, yeah. They're cheaper than, yeah. cheaper than clue tokens, of course, but... Yeah. Um, they do have the extra the extra cost of sacrificing. I'm sorry, of discarding a card. So um, this plays well with uh, things that use the graveyard as a resource. Obviously, um, in particular, the, the thing that I thought of since we're in Innistrad is uh, madness decks. I really liked madness decks when they were around, and this would have been an amazing enabler for those. Yeah, and I think it's, so. I have heard a lot of people speculate, and it sort of makes sense that this is sort of the. Um, and a, a way of getting back uh, or, or coming back to madness without giving, like putting madness right into the deck uh, or right into the set. Because um, I think sort of the overwhelming consensus was with madness, particularly with the madness commander deck um, headed by uh, Anji Falconrath, was that it resulted in like two types of play patterns. One really good, like, EDH level of like powerful, and then the other was like poop. So without a lot, with, without a lot of variance in between, and so there were you know so I think people are I think designers in particular at Wizards are are aware of this. Particularly those they stick on um, things that matter for EDH, and they go we got to be careful about about too much madness um, because it can be a really broken broken mechanic um, when uh, constructed properly. But they still want to harken back to it, particularly since the vampires of Innistrad seem to play really well into this whole madness idea. So uh, yeah. I think Blood's sort of a really interesting take on how on how you can enable that without um, straight up um, leaning into the, and calling it that madness is a thing again. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, in fact, the, the the madness vampires deck was one of my favorite. Um, uh, decks in Return uh, to Innistrad. So, Return to Innistrad? Did I get that it right? Was, it was uh, Eldritch Moon and Shadows over Eldritch, Innistrad. Oh, Shadows over Innistrad, right. Shadows over Innistrad. Um, yeah, I just, the Red Black Vampires deck was, was something else, and I really liked it. Yeah, uh, no, but it yeah. Crazy. Yeah, but Madness, you know, in, in larger formats like Commander, it can definitely be broken because there are so many so many ways to discard cards and to lower casting costs. And you just, you can like dump your entire hand in one turn and it's, it's pretty broken. I think you yeah. can dump your entire hand in one turn with that commander deck you mentioned as well. Uh, just I with, think with the base you deck. Could, you could, yeah. With the base deck, you could do some pretty gross stuff. And so yeah. it didn't take people who were um, competitively minded long to craft that into something truly nasty. Um, my thing for our audience, and I've said this before, I'm going to say it again here on the show, is that this is yet another evidence, piece of evidence that Wizards really digs us sacrificing our permanence for value. Um, ever since we've been to the battle for Zendikar, we had Scion tokens, then we had Clues, then we had Treasure, then we had Food, and now we have Blood tokens, which are all tokens that get made um, for, for little to no cost that you can then sacrifice for value. Um, and uh, and cards that do this always pique my interest because there's a lot of really powerful sacrifice uh, payoffs um, and out there that if you are looking to utilize and leverage those in your commander decks, you can get them, you can get them cheap, and they can do really broken stuff 
uh, if that's what you're into. So the revolt mechanic from Aether Revolt was is one of them. It's just one of the many many features. But uh, the Aetherworks Marvel is another one. Uh, there's also lots of other things where if things get sacrificed, you get like creatures grow in size, or you can get um, you can draw additional cards, or you know what have you. So um, I always when I see mechanics like this, my I raise a flag and wave it because there's there's something here that uh, people need to be paying paying attention to in other cards, not just in the, the kings the things that make blood tokens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and with that, I'd like to talk a little bit about the rules change uh, because it is relevant to this discussion, in particular about those abilities that you tap and sacrifice for. Um, one of the another token type that you didn't mention before was a gold token, yes. and a gold token doesn't tap before you sacrifice it. And I think mm -hmm. a treasure token was created to to fix that problem. Yes. So the gold tokens I have heard um, are uh, superior in many respects because they don't need to be tapped to be sacrificed. So you can use them to improvise. Is that the mechanic or is it not? Yes, that improvise. That's right. So you can use them to improvise and then you can sack the, the gold token for, for the gold so it can like basically double up on its mana production for the turn if you wanted to do it. Um, I think the only saving grace is there aren't a lot of gold makers out there. Um, there's a lot now. There's they right, fixed exactly, that with exactly. blood tokens. So, so the rules change uh, is actually the comprehensive rules uh, section one 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 dot four. This is regarding naming a token. The old rule was if a spell or ability created a token without specifying its name, the token's name was the same as its subtype. So, for example. If an effect says uh, create a 2-2 illusion creature token, then that would create a token whose name was illusion. Um, this has not been a problem until the advent of blood. Now there are some, so the problem occurs when you have a token whose name uh, matches a another uh, an actual magic card. For example, Illusion, there's illusion uh, reality, right? Illusion to reality. Uh, so if you pithing needle and name illusion, um, if that illusion happens to have activated abilities, then they're not going to be activated, right? They're not able to be activated, just like... Oh, um, I didn't even know this card. So I'm looking at the example of illusion and reality. I didn't mm -hmm. even know this card existed, but you're right. If you name illusion, name the card... You now also shut out off to shut off all the tokens. Oh. Right, exactly. So, uh, and in this case, so so for uh, Crimson Vow, they introduced uh, blood tokens. Now there is a uh, a pretty important card in the older formats called Flesh and Blood. And uh, so, if you named Blood, then you're also disabling blood tokens entirely. Right, you're not you're not allowing them to have that activated ability of sacrificing and, and discarding to draw a card kind of makes them useless. Um, but in reality, I mean, there aren't a whole lot of cards that overlap, but there are enough that Wizards decided that it, it was too much of a burden for players to have to know all of the token types that overlapped with actual card names. Um, this, seemed, this says to me that, this was in their uh, official article on the matter, this says to me that uh, they're planning to introduce more tokens, as you said, they're, they're really into sacrificing tokens for value, um, creating these artifacts and sacrificing them. And uh, that just says to me that they're going to create a lot more of them, and they just they want to they wanted to change that rule to get that whole uh, that whole thing out of the way. And so the new rule uh, is 
if you cast if you ha- have a spell or ability that creates a token without specifying its name, the name becomes the creature type plus the word token. So blood is actually blood token. So if you name blood, then you're only naming the card, not the token. That is that's really interesting. All right, that's what yo folks. That's why I bring judges on because they know this stuff and I don't. So (laughs) (laughs) excellent. That's really good. That's really cool. I didn't. I did not. I had not thought of that. Although you're right. Like I mean, I very corner case. That's why we bring you on. All right. Cool. I'm excited for blood tokens and seeing what we can do with them. So long and the short of it. All right. Next, we have Cleave, and this one, um, uh, I'm not going to lie. This looks like a clunky, clunky mechanic that really is just a way of having a modal card with an alternate casting cost. So this is what the show notes, or sorry, the notes from Wizards of the Coast say. Cleave shows up on instant and sorcery cards and offers you an alternate alternative cost. In casting a card with Cleave, you can cast it for its mana cost as normal. If you do, the spell's effect is processed as normal. Uh, but if you opt to pay the cleave cost rather than the mana cost, you can ignore all the words in brackets. This will change some key aspects of the card. For example, they have the example of Dig Up, which is green for a spell that reads, search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, and put it in your hand, and shuffle. But if you cast it for a one and then black, black, green, you can treat it as search your library for a card, put it in your hand, then shuffle. So... You see, those two effects are very, very different, and the cards, if you, you need to see the card there, audience, but um, that alternative casting cost, the the words, wording to that alternative casting cost effect is right there, but it's been bracketed in such a way that you get this new wording that says you can get a tutor for any card. So, um... To me, this feels really clunky as, as, as a layman here, as someone who, who enjoys the game but doesn't understand the minutiae of everything. So why, why would they have gone ahead and made this sort of change instead of using something like a lot more straightforward like, like Kicker or something where it's like, like Kicker would, would, could do this effect as well, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. But like, why would they have chosen, chosen to do this with Cleave? Uh, so what's interesting about this is uh, cleave is actually a text changing effect. In other words, it is an effect that changes the actual text on the card while it's on the stack. Uh, in this case, we're talking about sorceries and instance, uh, so it doesn't change the 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 text on the battlefield. But if the, if this card were to resolve as a permanent, it would it would carry the change over to the battlefield. Um, right. I'm only I can assume that they're going to be using cleave on permanents in you know the near future. Um, Oh God! But, but that's just an assumption. I, I would say that uh, you're right. Um, from a layman's perspective, I mean, having bracketed text in the actual ability text, uh, and, that, and then you remove it if you pay this alternate casting cost, does seem clunky. Um, but there's there's actually a pretty important rules uh, reason for this particular uh, change. So, or this particular um, mechanic to be that way. So, the difference between uh, a text changing ability and a modal spell is that well first of all you can combine them obviously but if they're not if they're not both on the same oh, card true. a text changing ability uh, has it takes effect when it's put on the stack so when the spell is on the stack if you have paid its cleave cost the text the bracketed text does not exist on the card while it's on the stack um, for a modal spell, you have to choose modes 
before you cast the spell. And so that actually occurs before the spell goes on the stack. Um, uh, in addition to that, text changing effects uh, are on the, and I'm gonna talk about the dreaded layer system here, are on layer three of the layer system. Now most, most of our cards that we worry about um, have effects that change things around in layer seven. Layer seven is things like effects to power and toughness, uh, things that uh, basically characteristic defining effects, like mm -hmm. stuff that changes the card while it's in play. Uh, text changing effects change the, the card starting in uh, while it's on the stack. So those happen early on enough that other types of changing effects will affect them rather than, for example, uh, so a layer seven will affect a layer will will override a layer three effect if for some reason it has that in there. I, I didn't say that very well. I hope you can edit that out. Let me <laughs> let me try that one again. <laughs> try it again. Let me try that one again. Yeah, let me try that one again. Okay, so because text changing effects are on layer three, instead of for example, uh, uh, as a modal spell. Um, hmm. How do I want to put that? So, okay, let me go. Let me take another route. One reason that I can that I can think of for wizards to do this particular effect is, I mean, I listen to Tamaro's podcast, and he's always talking about how limited the card design uh, space is. Right now, this is a pretty interesting way to do text changing effects. A text changing effect is an effect that changes the text of the card while it's on the stack. And if it's a permanent, it changes uh, the text of the card also while it's in play on the battlefield. Another example of a text changing effect uh, from the olden days is, you know, Magical Hack, for example. Magical Hack actually changed the text of the card that you targeted. Mm -hmm. um, in this case, uh, the it's, it's sort of elegant in terms of the way it's designed. If you think about it from a design perspective, um, you pay this alternate casting cost and then it actually performs this, this unique kind of text changing effects. There aren't a whole lot of them in magic, but this open, opens up a very wide uh, design space for the designers. Right. Um, it basically is a pretty much a brand new type of effect where yes, it's sort of like kicker because the costs are more, but I can imagine you know, the inverse of this where they could reduce the cost and maybe get less uh, stuff out of it, right? Maybe mm, they, they yeah. chop stuff off or they add stuff in or they chop stuff off uh, with a lower cost. Uh, for example, what if, a, what if a card had two abilities and if you paid a lower cleave cost, one of those abilities would not, would not happen. One of those abilities would be removed from the effect. Right. So uh, in terms of design space, this is a really rich, uh, rich uh, area to mine. In terms of rules consequences, it's a layer three. Uh, text changing effects are layer three in the layer system, uh, which means they happen pretty early on. So there shouldn't be a whole lot of things that uh, can interact with the actual text change itself. Interesting. All right. I had, I had not considered the angle of looking at it from a text changing, like, to, to again, to the layman, it just looks like a modal card with, with two different modes and different casting costs. But you, the layering piece with like the, the the text changing component is, uh, and I can appreciate that because I having played more than a few magical hacks in my time in Merfolk decks, because um, I'm a I'm a I'm a terrible terrible person and I love Island Walk. Um, but <laughs> what, what's better than Island Walk is when I can make myself walk across whatever it is you have with my magical hack, uh, mm -hmm. and and, and sleight of mind and do all those things. Um, yeah. So anyway.
Very cool, very neat stuff. All right, then we have training, which seems, I'm not gonna lie, audience, this seems like very much a, like a limited mechanic where cleave and blood have applications in commander. I'm less convinced that training does. So it says, whenever a creature with training attacks alongside a creature with power with greater power, put a plus one plus one counter on the creature with training. The powers of the attacking creatures are checked only at the moment they attack. I feel like there's something, there's a wrinkle to that, that last line there that needs to be unpacked. Um, so the example they gave us was Torin's Fist of the Angels, which is one green-white for a legendary creature, human cleric. Uh, it's a 2-2 with training. And then it says, whenever you cast a creature spell, create a 1-1 one, one green-white human soldier creature token with training. So let's just imagine that I've got um, a 3-3 three, three on the battlefield alongside with Torin's, and Torin's MI-3-3 three, three attack. Um, let's call it my Nessian Courser, whatever. And then, so when I choose to attack, do I understand correctly that the game checks to make sure that Torrens is attacking and that there is, there is indeed another creature with greater power attacking and then Torrens gets a counter. Is that right? That's right. Uh, that's correct. Training is a triggered ability. So when you declare attackers, if a creature with training has attacked with another creature, which is bigger, like this 2-2 with a 3-3, then a triggered ability goes on the stack and then other triggered abilities that happen when on, on the attack. And it resolves, when it resolves, a plus one, plus one counter is placed on the creature with training. So yeah, okay. that's right. So I'm gonna ask you a question, because there's gonna be like, the, the situation, because I'm pretty sure this powers of attacking creatures are checked only at the moment of attack. So if I have a giant growth in hand, and instead of having a three, three and a two, two, I have Torrens as a two, two, and I have a, I have a bear, all right? I have a two, two. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I would have to, the timing of that in order to get the counter on my creature, I have to cast my giant growth before I declare attacks if I would like to have my Torrens get his uh, his token or his counter. Am I correct? Because if that's, I wait... That's... Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, because if I wait and I declare my attack and then I pump my bear, I've already declared my attack. And then if I pump, do I get the counter? Because I don't think... Because my inclination in that case, I don't. But perhaps I misunderstood how this works. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, the last opportunity to increase the power of one of the creatures that you will attack with is uh, at the beginning of combat step, which is which means that uh, once you declare your attackers, you cannot pump them and, and, and trigger training. As soon as you declare attackers, that's when the training triggers. So you're absolutely correct that you have to cast that giant growth before you declare your attackers. So... Uh, audience, I, I I go through this because I do think there is a component here where we have to be we have to be careful. If you're looking to get your trigger, the time there is a timing feature that you can screw this up. Because I will I will screw this up spectacularly, and I will got I will not get my training trigger because I forgot to pump before I declared attacks, and then I feel sad. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there is there is one more rules consequence of that of that last sentence, uh, okay. which is you know you have to it, it, the checks only the it checks the the power only when uh, at the moment of attacking, um, and the consequences you may remember a limited mechanic called mentor, and mentor yeah. says uh, when this creature attacks with another creature that has lesser power, you can target creature that has lesser power, you can. Put a one one. You can put a one one counter on that target creature. Correct. So, 
so that so there's two things here. One, because training is not targeted, uh, it's not going to fizzle if your creature gets uh, oh. removed as a fast effect. Um, for example, if a Torrens attacks with that 3-3, and then you declare attackers, and the 3-3 is removed as a fast effect, Torrin is still going to get his counter. Um, oh. The other part of that is... Uh, what was I going to say? Hang on a second. got to go back through my, my train of thought. That's fair. Can I just riff off that idea there, folks? So, um, audience, while, while Liam Pete comp- composes his thoughts there, that's actually a big differentiation because those of you who have mentor decks, and I know some people went out there and built your mentor deck with Aurelia because you're gluttons for punishment. But um, anyway, so excellent. Okay, anyway, yes, let you c- carry on your thought. Okay, uh, let's see. So it's not targeted, so you can remove the the larger creature. Was that a good one I wrote here? Uh, yeah. Oh, actually, you already covered it. Was uh, okay. uh, increasing a creature? Oh, right. Increasing a creature's power after attackers are declared won't cause trading to trigger. So you already covered that one. Perfect. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Um, then there were other things, other things in the set that haven't changed from the past. Like there's still the exploit mechanic, which we've seen before. Uh, that was from D- D- Dragons of Tarkir. Pretty simple. You sack a creature. So when your creature with exploit enters the battlefield, you can sacrifice a creature to its exploit trigger, and then you get um, some sort of added effect. Um, the one that everyone likes is Sidisi, um, the black, all mono black Sidisi, where you sack and you essentially demonic tutor for whatever it is you want to find, um, and you can sack itself to the exploit trigger. So if you can cast a creature and you don't have anything else. But you really want the exploit? You can just go ahead, sacrifice your own creature. That's not a new uh, a new mechanic. We've seen that one before. And then disturb and daybound, nightbound are also there and have been unchanged from Midnight Hunt. So um, if you want to refresh on what those are like, you can go check out our our rules uh, our rules session from when we did Midnight Hunt uh, back in September. All right, should we get into some more of the, um, the the particular cards? Sure, sounds good. All right, so the first one we have is Cultivator Colossus. So this is a big old mean card. Um, so it's four green, green, green for a creature plant beast with trample and Cultivator Colossus power and toughness are equal, each equal to the number of lands you control. And then when Cultivator Colossus enters the battlefield, you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. If you do, draw a card and repeat this process. So my question is this. So there's a lot of buzz around this with abundance, meaning that like you get, essentially, you can draw your deck with abundance and Cultivator Colossus in play. But are you aware of anything else that this synergizes with? Essentially, because like, we're commander players, and like, yeah, we're, this is a really hot, a hot synergy except that the, the problem here is that now it's like only two cards in your deck that go together and do something gross which is okay like but you have a hundred card deck so to find them is tricky but is there something here that we can also take away from it going forward and when we see cards templated in this way that we should be looking forward looking at like, like how do we think about a card like this going forward so i guess it's not really a rules question but more of like but like yeah i guess it's a little more of a like what are we? What are you as a judge looking for when you see a card like this? That's going to make a like get your spidey senses tingling. Hmm. 
So the the thing that I that I like about this card uh, is that it is a, a big creature because by the time it comes out, it's you know ostensibly going to be an eight eight with trample, right? Yeah. And when I see big creatures, I think of control finishers, uh, especially in green because I, I I am also a terrible person and I like to play blue green control decks. And uh, uh, yes. you know, abundance is obviously the number one com- uh, combo for commander. Two card combos are really nice there, but it works well in any landfall package, right? Like Omnath, Locus of Rage. Um, yep. It might be too slow for standard unless you throw it into con- into a control shell. But uh, for example, we have in standard wizard class. So for one blue, you have an unlimited hand size. This really uh, starts to set it up. You throw in some counter spells and card draw, and you try to find some landfall synergies. And this becomes a really excellent finisher. It's probably too slow to be top tier competitive in larger formats, uh, but definitely in commander where you can sort of build around the landfall and build build ramp and, and card draw and a blue green. It it, it kind of comes alive there. Right. Um, this like yeah. This 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 card definitely got me thinking about what else could do. Like it reminds me of Multani, um, like the from Dominaria, the big. Star bumper mm. that you just play to bash people's faces in. And yeah, I love that card. This guy's pretty similar in many respects because it's just a big old. I'm going to gobble you up with my big old land monster. So anyway, it's a cool card. Like I, I mean, I'm looking forward to come it coming down in price when people don't realize it. They don't value it as highly as I do because let's be honest, if you're in green and blue and you're playing this in your landfall deck. Um, you're going to have so many options at seven mana that it's going to be almost comical. You may not choose to run Cultivator Colossus unless you're looking mm. to really leverage the landfall deck, so like AC or Tetiova or something like that. But if you're playing something like, I don't know, you're playing Rashmi or you're playing uh, Rolesk, you're not going to play Cultivator Colossus nearly as frequently. So. Mm. That's anyway. true. Anyway, so moving on to Henrika Damnathi who is, she is cool um, because she reminds me a lot of Rankle, but then she, you can transform her. So you have two black black for a 1-3 legendary creature vampire with flying. So at the beginning of combat on your turn, choose one that hasn't been chosen. So our three modes are each player sacrifices a creature, you draw a card and you lose one life, and then you can transform Henrika Damnathi. And then when she transforms, she's got Flying, Death Touch, Lifelink. There's a 3-4 and 1 black black. Each creature you control with Flying, Death Touch, and or Lifelink gets plus 1 plus 0 until end of turn. So, okay. So, obviously the back wants to play real nice with, like, Lifelinking and Death Touching creatures, which are great. However, my thought was, like, what if I don't want to flip her? Is there a way other that I can... You prevent a card like this from transforming um, because like let's imagine I just want to play her for value like let's I want to play her because I really like the draw a card lose a life trade-off and so um, which makes her nice because I like you just uh, you get that trigger at the beginning of combat on your turn she doesn't even have to go to combat in order to get that to get that draw and that to me as a as a player who wants to draw cards and 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 that's kind of what i want to do like i want to use that i don't want to flip her and have her die on me i'm quite happy to like just let her sit there and like would do whatever i need to do 
to stifle that that trigger that makes you makes me forces compels me to transform her. So is there anything I can do to prevent that mode from ha I'm having to eventually get to the transforming mode? Um, well, or, I mean, so or, one one thing that I, I'm not sure if you took into account is that you have to choose a mode that hasn't already been chosen. Yeah. So as as long as this card is on the battlefield, uh, you can only choose you draw a card and lose one life one time. Yes. Um, so I'm not sure what the, I'm not sure what I, advantage there would be to not transforming her. The only one I'm coming up on is if I if I like let's say I really want to use her as a card draw engine, I have to blink her over and over and over again to reset mm -hmm. her to get the card draw. Right. right like okay. That, that's where I'm coming from because. Let's say I have my mono black deck and I'm and I'm struggling with my card draw. I might really dig having an engine that I can keep on the battlefield and essentially have her act like my own personal howling mine. And so, I mean, there's there's a cost to that. And I don't if I don't dig if I don't really want at that point in time want her to flip her. Is there any way I can stifle? I I think the only way I'm I'm aware of as a player is to blink her. But is there anything else that you are familiar with that would, would stifle that trigger and allow me to not transform her? Or because I guess then I got because if I don't transform her, like let's imagine I've made everyone sack and now I've drawn a card and now I stifle the transform trigger. Mm -hmm. I'm just stuck with a card that I can't actually pick anything more on because I've already right. picked all the modes on it and it's just stuck now. Oh, I talked myself uh -huh. in the corner here. No, you're right. And uh, in fact, when I when I read this in the in the show notes, I thought that you were talking about an opposing Henrika, not one on your side. Um, there is a card uh, called Emmerwolf, and it is from the original Innistrad. Oh. Emmerwolf is a one red green creature with Intimidate. Uh, each other creature you control that's a wolf or a werewolf gets plus one plus one, but its second ability is non-human werewolves you control can't transform. So if there's a way that you can change this creature the henrika into a werewolf perhaps with uh giving her changeling or even a text changing oh. effect to change her type and you get emmerwolf out now that seems like a long way to go um and you might just want to find a way to blinker every turn so that you never have to get to that third uh choice but i mean that that would be one way to go i i don't know of any other cards though that prevent transformation oh. besides emmerwolf I had forgotten about Emerald, and yes, and while it's a lot of hoops to jump through, there might be somebody crazy enough out there who wants to do that. So, I don't know, because I've seen all sorts of crazy things happen in Commander, and like, cards that interact with one another that you never would have ever played <laughs> with each other. And you know, all of a sudden, you're like looking at that, you're like, oh yeah, that's what that does. Alright, that's cool. Alright, thank you. That's actually really, really neat. Now, you're right, I might want to stifle it on my opponents, because um... You're absolutely correct. If, because if my opponent has a Henrika, and they've gone through modes one and two, and now the only mode left is transforming it, if I could stifle that trigger, and now now they're permanently left with a one three, because mm -hmm. they've chosen all three modes, and now Henrika's got no more modes, that is also cool. So that's yeah. that's that is neat too. Could I stifle that with just stifle? Would stifle stifle that trigger? Uh, stifle would because that is a triggered ability. Okay. So yeah, so stifle I, would so, work. So if you're so careful out there, folks, if you're playing Henrika Donathi, your opponents could just stifle, just cast stifle or nimble obstructionist. Uh, would nimble obstructionist work? Work? I don't even know if that would work or not. 
I'm not sure. Nimble I don't remember the text. Instructionist. So the text on Nimble Instructionist is uh, when you cycle Nimble Instructionist, mm -hmm. counter target activated or triggered ability you don't control. So, yes, you could do that to your opponents. That is fun. Okay. So, Nimble Extractionist just got a whole lot better. <laughs> <laughs> there is also a card in Crimson Vow that can stifle that. Uh, Overcharged Amalgam for okay, two yeah. blue, blue. There's a, it's a creature zombie horror, flash flying. It has exploit. And when it exploits a creature, you can counter target spell, activated ability, or triggered ability. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, yes. Okay. Overcharged Amalgam, ladies and gentlemen. Nimble Extractionist, Stifle are going to leave your opponent holding themselves, wondering why they bothered to put Henrika in their deck. Cool. <laughs> Very cool. I'm a fan. I like it. That's why we brought you on. We're going to talk about mm -hmm. stuff like that because I don't know. All right. Um, okay. Uh, the next one. Jacob Hawken, Inspector. For one and a blue, Legendary Creature Human Advisor. Tap, draw a card, then exile a card from your hand face down. You may look at that card. Uh, that card as long as it remains exiled then you may pay four blue blue if you do transform jacob hawken inspector he turns transforms into hawken in sorry and he was a zero two sorry he's always so he's a looter anyway, hawkins insight legendary enchantment at the beginning of your upkeep exile the top card of your library face down you may look at that card as long as it, it remains exiled once during each of your turns you may play a land or cast a spell from among the cards exiled with this permanent without paying its mana cost. So I heard lots of people talking about this card in the same breath as Omniscience. Mm. This doesn't read anything like Omniscience to me, but am I an idiot? What have I missed? Like, why are people comparing this to what Omniscience could offer in any way, shape, or form? Okay, so I thought about this, and uh, it definitely doesn't allow unlimited no-cost casting from your hand like Omniscience does, right? I mean, you're talking yeah. about starting turn seven, you can have one uh, per, per your turn. It's not even on your opponent's yeah. turn. Uh, however, uh, you can start exiling things with Jacob on turn three, and if you transform him on turn six, on turn seven, you can start casting things for free from exile. In some shells, this acts like Omniscience because you might be top-decking with omniscience by the time omniscience comes down right um so in that in that play pattern where you've dumped your hand and you're you play, cast omniscience and you're top decking in that case in this i know it's kind of a stretch but that's that's where i got to the omniscience like play pattern <laughs> right okay because like so i've because i've heard some other podcasts and i'll have to talk to chris martin who's uh on the conviction like uh conviction gaming podcast he's really hot on jacob thinking like this is, a, a, this could go in the same breath as an omniscience. Now, I get it, folks. Like anytime you have casting things for free, like the Hawkins Insight, that's very powerful. Like that is very powerful, particularly in a set in a, in a format like Commander where we have Ulamogs and Kozileks and Praetors and gross things all over the place. We really do. Um, but. I, I don't want anyone here to go out, leave this podcast and think, well, there's my budget in omniscience. Like, it's not. Like, it's not. It's fine. It's a good card. But to put it in the same breath as omniscience, which is like a win condition, like when people draw their deck, somewhere in that deck is going to be omniscience. And then they're going to vomit their entire contents of their hand onto the battlefield, and then you lose. Right? Like, 
That's just it, that is how omniscience plays out many times in commanders. So when I hear people talk about Hawkins' insight as being the next omniscience, I go, wait, wait a second. What? Yeah, and I think the omniscience mode with with the one card per turn is actually just kind of a nice bonus because honestly, being able to start it at, to start on turn three looting is yeah. pretty good. That's pretty good by itself. Agreed. I think I think it's very powerful. So I mean. I think it's a little closer to like Jace Fringe Prodigy, um, with a with a powerful backside, which is what this is. So mm-hmm. um, now both uh, JVP and uh, Omniscience are very powerful cards. Uh, don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And this right now is selling for about ninety four cents. If you want the regular uh, non foil version, if you want the fancy version, it's like three twenty five. All right. Whoops, I got it backwards. The uh, yeah the the fancy version, which is like the showcase version, is ninety five cents. The regular version is uh, three twenty five, which makes it very budget compared to both Jason's Prodigy and Omniscience. So there's there is something to be said there, folks. If you're on a, if you're a budget player and you're not wanting to spend the twenty bucks on Omniscience, like you can go get Jacob. And Jacob can be a stand-in until such time as you do want to go buy, pay for it. But let's not conflate the two. <laughs> Basically, is my is my is my is my feedback here, folks. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. Up next, we have Maniform Hellkite. Well, this card got me buzzing. So two red, red for a dragon, and they like I don't know. Like I don't know what's happened. As an aside, there was a time when dragons least cost five. Particularly good dragons, but now we're getting dra- good dragons at four mana, and it's disgusting. But this one's a four-four <laughs> with flying. Well, this one's gross. Like, listen to this: whenever you cast a non-creature spell, whenever you cast a non-creature spell, that's an artifact, that's a planeswalker, that's an instant, that's a sorcery, that's like that's lots of stuff. An enchantment. Create an XX red dragon illusion creature token with flying and haste, or X the amount of mana spent on this spe- on that spell. Exile that token in the beginning of the next end step. Okay, so did I just misread that, or is that just Shark Typhoon on a creature now? Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Although, since this is in red, and the tokens that it creates are illusions, uh, they go away, right? They don't, they don't stick around. However, they, do, they are coming for essentially free just for casting non-creature spells on turn 5 and later. Yeah, and they have haste, which means they're going to get you. Yeah, right? that's huge, right? They're going to they're get you. Now, I think the only saving grace here is this whenever you cast, not whenever you copy and cast, because <laughs> when we had all those cards in Strixhaven that with the Magecraft abilities that cared about copying and casting things, it got silly. I'm glad they went back to like whenever you just cast it. So eventually you're likely going to run out of fuel in your hand to fuel your dragons. However, I'm still scared of this card because I think this card is going to be something that's just going to be a big old beating over and over and over again. Um, like there is like there's an interesting tension there because like you want to cast big things to get big dragon illusion tokens, but you like don't want to run out of fuel in your hand so like i I don't know like so like playing the cheap cantrips that draw you cards i don't know but the thing sounds scary does all get out to me um and yet again another four mana dragon because now 
between this and Goldspan Dragon and the one from um, Crim sorry Midnight Hunt that's like a, with the wheel effect or like pitch your can and draw cards and um, the Tyrant from Zendikar Rising. There's a lot of four mana dragons floating around, folks. A lot of four mana dragons. Yeah, for sure. And they're good. Like, I'm sorry. Like, people are like, well, I don't know if I want to play that one. Like, yeah, power, the power creep is real, man. I I love dragons. They're my second favorite creature type, and uh, they I've watched yeah. them grow in power over the last couple of years for sure. We see, like, like they haven't grown in power, but they slim down. Like they're efficient killing machines now. Like there used to be a time, oh. when you, like you used to just cast like the big old fat dragon. Like I'm going to cast my nickel bolus, and like you spent like whatever, like seven, eight, ten mana, whatever it was, it didn't matter. Boom, dragon. But now it's like no. Now they're lean, mean killing machines that are like gonna get you. You're like, oh. yeah. They all they all have value, right? They're not just big like flying beaters like they used to be. When I said power, I didn't mean like power of toughness power. I just meant like the value that that comes out of them yeah. when you're doing other things. Yeah, yeah, for sure, absolutely. I wanted. I have one more note on this card. Mm -hmm. uh, what? So it says, whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create an XX Red Dragon Illusion token creature with flying and haste, where X is the amount of mana spent to cast that spell. If you're casting free spells, or spells that have a zero uh, mana value, that's zero oh. mana. That's still going to create a token. It's still going to okay. be, be a zero, zero, and it's going to immediately die and go to the graveyard. So if you're doing that, remember to check your graveyard triggers, because they will fire on a zero, zero token. Oh, that's that's... That's good. That's good thinking. I hadn't thought about that. All right. Um, yeah, there's gonna be lots of good things to power up graveyard stuff and do things like that with tokens that just show up and disappear. So when you cast your zero mana, like your oh geez, what cast your mox amber? All the moxen. All the moxen. Or or if you have uh, what were we talking about? The uh, uh, Jacob Harkin. Harkin. Yeah. Oh yeah! If, if, if his if his you know second if he's flipped over and you're casting free spells from exile and you got this guy out, you're making tokens. They're they're gonna die oh. right away, but they're still making. They're still gonna appear oh, and then go to the graveyard. Oh, yeah, right. because they're zero zero, right? Right. Cool. Very cool. Interesting. All right. Next, we have uh, we have Necro Duality. This card is uh, Anointed Possession for Zombies. So three and a blue for an enchantment. It says whenever a non-token zombie enters the battlefield under your control, create a token that's a copy of that creature. So every zombie deck that is, can play this card is going to do that from now on. Um, so, <laughs> okay. So um, I'm going to ask you a question about the legend, the legend rule. So, um, so for instance, if I copy my Grim Grin, uh, with Necrodurality, because I cast it with my Necrodurality, looks at it and says, oh, you cast a non-token non zombie. Here's a duplicate. Um, I don't get to keep both copies, do I? I've got to lose one of the Legend Rule. Is that correct? That's correct. So uh, when any copy effect copies all of the types, including super types like Legendary, so unfortunately you will have to pick one and, and put one in the graveyard. Um, a couple of notes on this, uh, just because for completeness, because I'm a judge and this comes up over and over, uh, legendary rule is not a sacrifice effect, so it does not oh. trigger sacrifice abilities. It's a state-based action. Um, it oh, does okay. trigger death effects because the card goes from the battlefield to the graveyard, but it does not trigger sacrifice effects. Okay. Uh, let's see. That's, 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 that's me misspeaking. Oh, no. I, but I'm just saying, like, a lot of people refer 
to it as sacrifice one of the legends, but it's just in, in terms of the rules, it's not a sacrifice effect. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Oh, and I think I, I have one more note on this card. Since we're talking about creating tokens that have names, uh, the previous rule that we discussed where the word token is appended is only if a token is created with a default name. So when you're copying a creature and creating a, co a, a token that's a copy of a creature, that token has the name of the original creature. So it is not at token is not added to that name. All right. So for instance, if I cast my Marsh Hulk that we had earlier today, I would mm -hmm. get a second copy of Marsh Hulk, not Marsh Hulk token. Correct. They would both be named Marsh Hulk. Okay. All right, Marsh Hulk. At least you got me to show made the show a little bit longer. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. That is cool. I like Necro Duality because I'm pretty sure there's an infinite combo with it, or there's a bunch of them actually, with that and Rooftop Storm and shenanigans if people like that are into that thing you can go and find those on the internet yourself they exist edh rec will steer you straight there um <laughs> so next we have we have soren the mirthless and so this guy this guy okay this is hot business because i don't know if you guys are aware out there soren comes in like a million different flavors because there's so many alternate versions of soren it is almost comical. So there's the regular version, which is the, if you check the show notes, is what, what Scryfall generates. However, they've got a version of him that is um, in, that's been done by an artist called Kojima. And Kojima was the artist who did Castlevania work for Nintendo 20 years ago or more, depending. If you remember Castlevania, this guy Kojima did the artwork for it. Well, he came, like Kojima came back and did the artwork for Soren the Mirthless. And right now, the Soren the Mirthless Japanese extended art foils are going for the neighborhood of somewhere like $1,500. Like, which is bananas, all right? Yeah. So, like... If you go, if you just get regular old Soren, like this, this just the regular old boring Soren, he's okay, um, but he's he's like worth like seven or eight dollars. But if you get Japanese foil Kojima art, you get a, you just open a fifteen hundred dollars scratch ticket and enjoy and enjoy the show. All right. Um, so are so, those are those Japanese versions showing up in collectors boosters this time around, or are they only in Japanese boosters? I think they're only in Japanese CBs. Hmm. Which is, oh, only in Japanese CBs. Okay. Yeah, I think they're only in Japanese CBs. Or no, they are in set boosters too. But like the essentially the drop rate there is super low. So, uh, but you, you have, have to have a you have to have a Japanese language set booster. Basically, yes. Okay, got it. Because because what they did is they did they have you can get you can get the Kojima art with English text, which is still mm -hmm. worth a pretty penny. It's worth like. I think it's worth right now a couple hundred dollars. I think. Um, yeah, it looks like one ninety-two. Like, it looks like. Yeah, yeah, which is still plenty of dollars. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, but it's no. Uh, that's still you know, ten times less than it is if you're getting it in Japanese. <laughs> so, yeah, that's anyway. that's wild. Yeah, it's kind of bananas. Anyway, which makes people believe this card is good. Um, so let's read it. Two black black for legendary creature planeswalker Soren it comes with four loyalty and it's plus one. Look at the top card of your library. You may reveal that card and put it into your hand. If you do, use life equal to its mana value. So that's like dark confidant, but it's a may ability instead of a instead of a must. 
Uh, minus two, create a two, three black vampire creature token with flying and lifelink. Okay, seems decent. Minus seven, Sworn the Mirthless deals 13 damage to any target. You gain 13 life. Okay, now. Um, okay, so the plus one, I think is good. The minus two is acceptable. I think that minus seven is garbage. Like, in Commander, <laughs> you never get to, you'll never get to do that. Soren's going to just die. And so you're never getting that much value out of Soren to get, and then if that's what's happening, like, Minus seven, I want that, that effect to win me the game. This doesn't win me the game. It may not even knock somebody out. So, am I crazy? Does this card suck? Um, I think that it sucks for Commander. I don't, I don't see... I mean, it, it's okay for Commander. Okay, so the plus one and the minus two are good abilities for Commander. And uh, it, it does protect itself on the turn it comes out. You can minus two it if you need to. Um, so that's that's sort of a baseline. It's four mana, so it's not super expensive. I think the minus seven it is pretty worthless in commander, uh, but I think that in standard, uh, this could see some play. Um, yes. Now, yeah, yeah. typically, typically the you know the three mana planeswalkers are the ones that come in and 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 have the most effect on standard. But at four mana and as in black, in a, clearly what's meant to be an aristocrat style uh, black uh, vampire deck, black white vampires. Um, this thing is going to be really good uh, in that particular shell. But you're right. Yeah. I think I think in Commander, you're just you're not going to see this. So the only time you really want this this in your deck is you're playing the other Soren that uh, that sets your opponent's life total to 13, 13 to ten, and then you can minus seven Soren with a because you have a doubling season in play. I don't know what deck you're playing that's got doubling season Soren Markov and Soren the Mirthless all in the same deck. But that's what you're doing, right? <laughs> like you're like you're setting their life total to the ten, and then you're casting Soren the Mirthless, doubling up the counters and zapping them for thirteen and lose and making them lose the game. I think it's a lot of work. Um, I'm kind of the opinion that people are going to want to play this, jam this in a lot of like vampire theme decks, and then I'm like, but this doesn't say doesn't care that much about vampires. It's just a a, value, a black value card, and I'm like, well. There's lots of cards that sort of do this effect that are better than this, so why am I wasting my time? Anyway, that's Well, I mean, uh, sure. Uh, I think that it, it doesn't care about vampires, but it definitely creates vampires. It creates vampires with flying and lifelink, so cards like Henrika, for example, can be a lord for those vampires. Right? True enough. True enough. Yes. That is that is one of the benefits to our, our dear friend Soren in that he plays nicely with Henrika or with other vampires too. Soren... Soren, uh, Edgar, big his daddy, and all those things. But anyway, yeah, Soren the Mirthless. Mm -hmm. Also, I have to say, um, the art on the regular version of Soren looked very like very disappointing. Like it's like Soren went back to high school and like just got all yeah. You know, like, He's one of those sparkly vampires. Yeah. Whereas, like, I kind of <laughs> want my Soren to be like dark and brooding. Like, my favorite Soren is the Soren from uh, Kanza Tarkir. Like, he just looks, it looks mm. pretty, pretty badass there. So anyway. yeah, that's a good one for sure. Uh, I do like the uh, uh, Kojima's uh, artwork as well. I think that uh, that's pretty dope. Yeah. Um, I do not like the Count Dracula. The Count Dracula version mm. looks weak. That's like weak. Yeah. Right there. I agree. It's almost like a cop out that one. It's just. I don't know. It doesn't have the the detail that the uh, that Kojima's does. 
doesn't look like Soren. That's my problem. It's just a generic vampire called Count Dracula. I'm like, really? Because Soren's got white hair, and this this vampire called Count Dracula, that's Soren the Mirthless, uh, reskinned, doesn't even have white hair. I'm like, yeah. Well, this is disappointing. So uh, I'm out. But anyway. <laughs> I mean, they did it. They they reskinned this stuff, and it's fine, whatever. But I don't care that much. Okay, next we have Alchemist Gambit, which is fun because it's an extra turns card, and everyone loves those. So one red red for a sorcery. And it says take an extra turn after this one. During that turn, uh, damage can't be prevented. At the beginning of that turn's end step, you lose the game. So, however, for the cleave cost and the mere four blue blue red. You re- it now reads as a following. Take an extra turn after this one. During that turn, damage can't be prevented. So now we have an extra turn spell in Izzet uh, to go along with our Alred's Epiphany. And, oh yeah, we can't forget, Exile Alchemist Gambit. Thank goodness. Right. So, <laughs> okay. So I think my point here, A, I still hate the, hate the, the Cleave templating. It's a nightmare to read. But um, can I, essentially, let's, let's imagine I go back to this the one red red casting cost because that's what I want to do. I don't really want to pay seven mana. I don't have mm-hmm. to. Can I cast discontinuity or some other way to end my turn to prevent my stuff from losing the game? Yeah. So what this card does is the second uh, at the beginning of that turn's end step, you lose the game. It sets up what's called a delayed trigger, and so this is triggered by entering the end step of that turn. If you end the turn and a card says end the turn before uh, the end step, then the end step never happens. So that delayed trigger never fires. So the answer is yes, you can end your turn and avoid losing the game. Okay. Uh, hold on a second there, Liam. I got to answer. Uh, I got to talk to my wife. Hold on. No problem. Okay. All right. We'll get this. We'll churn through this as quick as we can because I've got a child upstairs who is grouchy as all get out. So anyway. All right. That's cool. Um, I'm going to be keen to uh, cast this with some and uh, en- ending my turn shenanigans uh, Obeka be- is beckoning so uh, mm-hmm. Obeka I'm pretty sure is the Grixis color one that from Commander Legends that allows me to end my turn right Obeka Brute Chronologist yes Obeka Brute Chronologist lets me the player whose turn it is may end their turn and I can avoid dying to my own alchemist gambit ah yes oh good all right, uh, then we have two tutors. We have Demonic Bargain. We have Dig Up. So Demonic Bargain, I, I wouldn't want to love these together, though, Liam, because they are very similar. And one of mm-hmm. them, I think, stinks, and the other one is Gas. So, okay. uh, so Demonic Bargain, two and a black for a sorcery. Exile the top 13 cards of your library. Then search your library for a card, put that card into your hand, then shuffle. So I think this is poop. Am I wrong? <laughs> Am I wrong? Uh, you know, I thought about this card, and it's a it's a three mana tutor, so that doesn't suck. Um, if you're not worried about playing those thirteen cards, if you're like uh, digging, like basically in a sixty card in a forty card deck and limited, you're never going to play this card. No. In a sixty card deck, you have to no be doing way. something tricky. You might play it. In Commander, it's reasonable to play something that exiles 13 cards off the top of your deck. But overall, like this does seem like a dud. I don't 
know why you would pick this card over the other tutors. If you're if you're really dying to tutor something up, like something specific, the chances that it's going to be in the top 13 cards are pretty high. They, they get higher as the game goes on. Um, you know, you start above 10% and it just gets worse from there. Yep. So in a combo in a combo deck, this isn't going to be there. I just I don't see this card as 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 very good. I mean it's it's a tutor that's in standard, and that's about it. Okay. Well, we do have a better tutor. We have Dig Up. For a single green, we read it before today. We're going to read it again. It's, it's got Cleave, and so search your library for a, for a basic land card, reveal it, and put it in your hand and shuffle. So that's um, like a tuned ether or um, those type effects, which are mm-hmm. useful. Or you can play the cleave of one black, black, green, and now it reads, search library for a card and put it in your hand and shuffle. Um, so you get four mana, but you've got the extra utility of being able to play as for, to get dig up a land. This, to me, I think is gas. Like, I want to do this. I don't want to do the other one. Yeah, this is far better, right? This is, this is ramp at, at, its, at its floor and a demonic tutor at its ceiling. So... It does have some. It does have one extra mana uh, in the in the cost for cleave, and it has uh, you know two extra color pips, one of which is green. But I think it's worth it. I think that this uh, will go right into any green deck, uh, and if it's green black, bonus. Well, see, it's got because I, I, if I'm not mistaken, the color identity of this is set because that cleave cost means it's got to go in a Golgari deck, right? I can't just run. Uh, it Oh yeah, that's right. In, in terms of commander, I always yeah. think of things in terms of standard, but I understand oh. that you're commander focused. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, I'm very much a commander guy, so I'm looking at this. I'm like, yeah. oh, it's got to go my Golgari deck, but that's okay. My Golgari deck still wants to do this anyway. So, um, yes, yes, okay. Because um, this to me, like, is, is somewhere like traverse the Ulvenwald, which is like also gas, um, folks. You should be playing mm-hmm. that one too. Um, but dig up seems good too. All right. Yeah, um, it's really good. Really good. Yeah. Dollhouse of Horrors. This one's a mouthful of text. Okay. Five generic mana or artifact. It says one tap. Exile a creature card from your graveyard. Create a token that's a copy of the exile card, except a zero zero construct artifact in addition to its other types. And it has this creature gets plus one plus one for each construct you control. So at the very least, one's popping out of the graveyard and is a one one. It gains haste until end of turn. Activate this only as a sorcery. So this is like God Pharaoh's gift and is going to do gross things i think right <laughs> uh yeah i would say so so i mean it's at five mana it's coming out relatively uh well again in standard it's sort of toward the mid game right um at five mana i i think most commander games are are a lot of turns they last if i'm not mistaken like upwards of 20 turns in some cases yeah um, so it's well... early so it's early game so I think I think when you start looking at the numbers, like commander games, you like long commander games are running 12, 13 turns. Um, so, but yeah, like this is coming like when you ramp a little bit, this is coming out on turn probably turn four if this is if your if your game plan is predicated on um, getting Dollhouse of Horrors out um, because you know you imagine you're probably ramping on turns one through three, and then you're probably trying to play this on turn four. And hopefully somewhere in your in your ramping, you've done some milling um, to go and put this onto the put the put things in your graveyard that you're going to want to access uh, fairly promptly. So that's sort of the play pattern I imagine if you're really predicated in doing this. And like 
I can imagine the deck that I want to build this in because like it's going to have things like Nightmare Shepherd and God Pharaoh's Gift all in the same package. Um, so, but this one behaves the way I think it does. Like it's it's going to make a token, a duplicate, like a token of a thing I want. So let's call it my Reclamation Sage. Um, I'm going to get my a token of my Reclamation Sage, which is also a construct, hops out of the yard. I get the ETB trigger off of it. I get to kill my opponent's Saw Ring, and now I have a two-one construct, or sorry, a one-one construct token of an of a um, of my Reclamation Sage that I can I now have on the battlefield. It doesn't vanish right away. Correct? Did I understand? Uh, right, that's correct. Uh, it's a token copy of Reclamation Sage. It's one-one because it's a zero-zero construct uh, Elf Sage, I think. Right? Yes, I'm um, yeah, and then it gets plus one, plus one for each construct. So, I mean, this is this is doing some work. Um, definitely, if you're looking to win in the like to get some more value out of this, out of your enter the battlefield effects, like you were pointing out uh, in the late game, um, I can see this in a control shell uh, with that has some creatures that do enter the battlefield stuff. Um, the other place it might, and I was just thinking about this because, and I'm, I'm not very good at thinking about commander because I'm not, as I said, a commander player, but just a quick search shows that there are 156 cards, uh, where the card types include construct and creature. So is there a construct tribal deck that this could go into? Urza, the Lord High Artificer makes constructs, I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So this could be a pretty, uh, Pretty beef Urza. could make pretty beefy tokens in a deck like that. I would say. Yeah. So Le- Le- uh, Urza, Lord High Artificer. Yeah. So this is like Lord uh, Urza, and that's a very like, Urza is a very powerful um, dude, like who makes a lot of constructs. Like he, like he can overrun the game, and and so like you could play, you could put this in there, and like exile other things from your graveyard, and just for for crazy value town, um, and that's definitely a, a way to go. Um, but yeah, you could definitely go that route if you wanted to play um, Construct Tribal and just beat people up. I believe Karn also has a mode where you make constructs. I think Karn or Ur- mm. Scion of Urza has a mode where it makes constructs. Yeah, so uh, the minus two on Karn Scion of Urza. So you could do a Construct Tribal, or I'm you know I'm I that's not where I would go with with this one. I think that's like that's like a level zero and. I think you're just going mm. for the ETBs with like Panharmonicon, God Pharaoh's Gift, Nightmare Shepherd, Dollhouse of Horrors, and just going ham. So yeah, that makes sense. And just and just milling as many things in your graveyard as you can, and seeing how many effects you can pop out of your yard mm. and and wreck havoc on the battlefield. Like like because once you start getting into that sort of framework, you have so many uh, powerful ETBs that you can just access and just demolish the, ba- the battlefield. So. Mm. Like, you know, your Runescar Demon or your whatever else is you want to play with. That's yeah, this is like a black-blue card in disguise as, a, as an artifact. It's, a, it's all sorts. Of, I, I would say it's a, like, like definitely in Sultai colors because hmm. blue and green do the mill thing, self-mill pretty well. And then you can uh, power out big things, well, scary things with cool ETBs and then make them real big with a bunch of contracts on the battlefield. So that's where this goes. All right, uh, Dreadfeast Demon. Uh, so five black black with a cre- creature demon. It's a 6-6. Six, six, it says flying. 
At the beginning of your end step, sacrifice a non-demon creature. If you do, create a token that's a copy of Dreadfeast Demon. My question is this. What happens if I got no more things to sacrifice to the demon? What happens then? Uh, okay, so what happens is you nothing happens. If you can't sacrifice a non-demon creature, you don't create a token that's a copy of Dreadfeast Demon. Okay. I like that this is back-to-back -back with Dollhouse of Horrors because these two cards play together quite nicely, actually. Uh, if, you're, if you're sacrificing creatures already and you can bring them back as tokens and sacrifice them again, uh, and you're getting two Dreadfeast Demons per each creature instead of one, which is nice. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, um, let's get to one last one, and then I think it's time we'll, we'll, let, we'll let you go and, uh, and and get cleaned up here. So we have I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up Olivia Crimson Bride because Olivia okay. Crimson Bride is very powerful, and I want people to be aware of that there are some limitations to what she can do. So four black red legendary creature vampire noble. She's a three four with flying haste, and whenever Olivia Crimson Bride attacks, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped and attacking. It gains when you don't control legendary vampire, exile this creature. My question is, there's all sorts of fun creatures that you can pop out of the graveyard with this, but one in particular gets gets my juices going, and that's Valky. So, if I go target uh, Valky with Olivia, do I get my Tibble back? Uh, sorry to say, Bruce, but uh, do uh, double-sided cards when they return when they enter the battlefield from any zone except from your hand to the stack. Uh, can only uh, enter as the front face. Um, there is a there is an uh, ability uh, that was introduced last in the last expansion that allows you to cast spells on the reverse face uh, from the graveyard. But barring that, uh, only the front face can emerge from the graveyard. <sighs> and I am sad now. I'm yeah. sad because I would really dearly love to go get my my uh, Olivia and to go, go fetch my Valky out of my yard and turn him into my Tybalt. However, yeah, unfortunately, he's there only. He's only the front face while he's in the graveyard. Yeah. Can only appear only appear as the front face when he comes back. That is disappointing. All right, all right. Let's have a quick uh, look at a deck because I think this is a good place to segue into a deck. Uh, so this tonight's deck, their audience is going to be an Olivia Crimson Bride deck, um, and so um, Olivia, we've read her. She's super cool. She wants to reanimate big things out of people out of your yard. So let's have a look, see what we've got. So first things first things, fo folks. We want to uh, ramp as much as we can, and we're in Rakdos. So Rakdos milling things is a little bit problematic. But we're running things like Commander Sphere, Rakdos Signet, Mindstone, Arcane Signet, Sol Ring. Those are like the 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 big five that we can run in um, in in Rakdos that we really want to run. It's all artifacts. We can run more. We can run your Coligons statue. We can run your you know whatever else. But those are the big. Those are the the five primary ways that we're going to ramp. Um, do we want to get more? Absolutely. But the way I think this deck is going to work is you can't, this is not a deck where you're going to be vomiting pile, metric piles of land on the battlefield with the express intent of turning, like casting Olivia repeatedly. You're not going to do that. What I think you're going to do with Olivia is you're going to play her once near the end of the game to put the nail in the coffin 
and bring something else out that is going to help you seal the deal. So, um, you know, so let's then go look at our reanimation targets. So what are we going to target that is huge and scary as all get out to go in, that are going to jump out of our yards? So uh, we've got Villas, Broker of Blood, which if you can pop out Villas, um, he's fantastic. He's a fixed version of Grizzlebrand in many situations. So yeah, yes, please. Sepulchral Primordial, which for 70 cents packs the most crazy bang for your buck I've ever encountered. Runescar Demon is a tutor effect, so you go hop him out, mm, yes please. Uh, Bladewing the Risen, Zagras Thief of Heartbeats is actually very interesting. Um, you've got uh, Malfagor, which is a big old scary demon dragon, Atali, Combustible Gear Hulk, Burning Rune Demon, um, you get some Coligons and some Green Merchants and other fun things like that too. So there's lots of things that you're going to want to pop out of your yard and Olivia is just going to let you just power, like, like you need to get her out once, attack, and then get that trigger and get something big and scary popping out of your yard. Um, otherwise, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to put, find ways to put things in your yard. So you're going to play Stitcher Supplier, you're going to play your Corpse Churn, you're going to play, there's a Undead Butler, which is a new one from, um, from Crimson Vow, which is a great a great uh, tool as well. Uh, you'll get sack, sack outlets like Woe Strider and Viseraseer that you're going to want to, uh, when you things are going to die, you're going to want to sack them um, and fill, fill up your yard. But then you also, <clears throat> I'm going to say this folks, prevent the unfortunate exiling of Olivia should you have your um, your commander removed. So you sack in response to them removing your commander or your, or your um, legendary vampires. So there's a little bit of protection for your graveyard as well. Um, but yeah, so lots of fun things to do there. Oh, Doom Whisperer is a great one in this build. So you just, you have your Doom Whisperer and you can surveil, fill your yard and then go and pop out um, something with Olivia, so all good. And then of course you have the, the, the inevitable package of things that are just gonna kill everything just it all gonna die folks so you're playing your blasphemous act you're playing your blood on the snow you're playing dead of winter because i'm playing the snow the snow package i'm playing the snow package folks because essentially because uh, blood on the snow is terrific in that sense because you can then hop something out of your yard if you have enough snow mountains on the battlefield or snow snowlands uh you know your other things you get your unexpected windfalls your chaos warps your bedevils just all the fun things to kill things kill them dead and of course you can play more if you need to depending on your meta um, so if you need more target removal or more board wipes you're in colors that do that and you do lots of it so you can kill all the things dead and and then make sure olivia has a clear path to help you smash through to victory the best part of this deck folks it's 114 dollars yep 114 bucks gets you in the deck uh, and gets you sitting down at your next commander night and having a game with your friends. So that doesn't mean you spend a small fortune, you know, you, you sure you gotta probably save up your pennies for a week or two, a couple of weeks, and then you can buy the pieces for your deck and you can, you too can play commander with your friends. Liam, any thoughts? I know you're not a huge commander guy, but uh, does, this, does this sort of deck appeal to even a committed uh, blue-green uh, mage such as yourself?
<laughs> uh, yeah, it does actually. I'm very into Rakdos. Uh, that's the uh, my other favorite combination of colors, um, especially uh, when I'm doing things like uh, bringing stuff back from the graveyard and and zapping people with direct damage. Um, one of the things that I'm curious about, though, it, it, I've heard that red uh, can be an underpowered color in Commander because it has a lot of single target uh, effects, as well as black having a sort of like spot removal. Isn't that a disadvantage when you're in a large pod? So, yes. Um, so the basic math there is a yes, it is. Um, the, the truth of the matter is, for every one card you expend to kill your opponent's things, your opponents aren't expending those resources, and you're probably down three cards, or at the very least two, because you're sure you're killing one of your opponent's things, and two of your opponents have lost nothing. So yes, so there is, there is, an, uh, there is an, uh, an inherent uh, asymmetry from this color combination in going too heavy into the mono-removal sort of package. The, the fact also remains, however, that too frequently people um piggyback off the fact that nobody plays enough target removal in commander and you can people get allowed to do whatever they please and set up whatever value engines they wish so there is something to be said for having someone like uh this sort of deck show up to the table as the as the no fun police that is going to kill all the high value engine targets that your opponents are going to want to run um and just keep people being honest so um, hmm. there's no doubt there is a there is a there is a definitely a strategic disadvantage to running this sort of deck. You have to be circumspect about where you use your spot removal, um, particularly things like your chaos warp <coughs> or your bedevils, because they are more flexible in um, what they can hit. So bedevil at least allows you to blow up an artifact or creature or a planeswalker. Chaos warp can let you get any permanent and a sort of a a catch-all removal spell in uh, in in black and red. Sorry, in red, I mean. But uh, you know, you have lots of other targets, and so what's where the the sweeper options in black, I think, are actually really really useful. Um, so they can allow you to mop up the board. And so why blood on the snow is actually a very a very real and very powerful tool in this deck. So uh, because you can be the first person to redeploy with blood on the snow if you spend enough snow mana in it um so yeah there is definitely some issues around how you utilize your resources um it's i would categorize it more as being less of a disadvantage being more of a puzzle how and when you deploy your single spot removal spells and uh you know the, the reality could become that if you are being the no fun police in your meta, you may end up having to skew your deck towards playing more of this removal and uh, opting in for a few less of the utility creatures and utility options that you have further up um, our list here. Um, mm. But yes, so there's definitely there's definitely a trade-off there in your deck construction that you need to think think about very carefully as you're when you're designing a deck like this. I see. Okay, thanks. Um, no, it's, that's, a, that's an excellent, it's an excellent question. Now, now to categorize red as being underpowered, I would disagree. Um, there have been a lot of very powerful effects printed in red in the last two years, uh, that have really taken red in a very different direction. Um, so you get your Tor brands, your fire emancipations, your Jaya venerated fire mage, like those sort of things where like 
what red is going to do is red is not underpowered. Red wants to close the game out faster than the other colors do. Um, which is a different way of thinking about Commander, where you're like, you're not looking to... Pro like, many colors want to prolong the game. Blue wants to prolong. Green wants to prolong. Because both of them are advantaged in the game going longer, in many cases. Mm -hmm. um, particularly if it turns into a mid-range, like, grind fest. Like, both of those colors grind better than red does. So red is going to end up having to utilize strategies to uh, end it faster. So, and Rakdos in particular, which is where you get powerful commanders like the the new, was it Valrath? No, not Valrath. Oh, I'm going to draw a blank. There's a chance, there was a, oh, I'll come to me later. There's a really powerful one where you sack stuff and like it, 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 it grows and like in one shot people left, right, and center. So, but like Red wants to get into that game. Olivia here looks like she wants to get into playing. I think she wants to play as a as a reanimator strategy where you're going to get very powerful things on the battlefield and like a couple of combustible gear hulk triggers, you uh, you know, your perforos in some other red things uh like your like a Zagras or a Malfagor or whatever, you're going to find yourself pretty quickly, you know, powering like powering up your battlefield and smashing people over the head um and hopefully that should get you there hmm. anyway. that sounds right cool but anyway cool well let's uh, wrap this week's show up so liam if people wanted to get a hold of you how would they reach out to you if they wanted to have further questions well the best way to reach me is on the lotus cancel discord i go by wherefore on there and uh i'm available 24 7 although i'm not always answering uh, my messages uh like you i have kids and a, and a career so but if, if uh, another way to get a hold of me is twitter i am at w rhymers at w-r-e-i-m-e-r-s uh either one of those then you should be able to get my attention very cool um, so thank you very much for everybody here. Uh, if you want to reach out to both us, to uh, us here on the podcast, and uh, you can reach out to us on e our email at the Epic Experiment Podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Epic EXP Cast. Uh, we're also all, we all we, Lux and I both haunt the Discord as very as well. You can also check out all our decks on Moxfield.com. Uh, feel free to look up the username the Epic Experiment Podcast, all one word. Uh, as always, ask a question, leave a comment, like, follow, subscribe, all that, every bit, every bit helps on all the various platforms that you can find our podcast, including thelotuscouncil.com, you can find us on um, Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, uh, Spotify, and Amazon, uh, so lots of places you can find us. So, a big thank you to Liam for stopping by tonight and helping us out, um, really appreciate it, and uh, I guess that's pretty much it, isn't it, Liam? I think so, man. Thanks for having me on. I, I, I had a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, too. So, until next week, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Epic Experiment Podcast, signing off, wishing you all the best wherever you next. Thanks so much, everybody. Take care. Talk to you. Talk to you.